Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So before we get started, I want to give a special thanks to everybody who's been listening to the last Sunday edition, and that was on the mid-2000 anime industry crash. I had a lot of fun reading stories about that um, and getting all that info together and kind of straightening out the timeline in my head because I lived through it as an anime fan, but my sense of time has always been, quite honestly, the worst. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun to do research on and read a story about a once-famed anime shop that had two locations that then just spiraled into the ground. And I just like I just like that stuff in general. So thank you so much for showing any interest in that because it was a lot of fun to do. I've got another Sunday edition on what I'm calling The Appening in my brain. I don't know if that will be the name of the episode. About all the rise and fall and like changing of anime apps and anime as a property and streaming and all that fun stuff. So that was another fun one. So if you were interested in last week, you'll probably be interested in next week in terms of the Sunday edition. But now I want to get into what we're talking about this week. And that is a little show called Tokyo Ghoul. Now, so, the thing with Tokyo Ghoul is that I don't believe it's a good show. Let's be honest. I know that, there, however, I know there are tons of people who love it as a property. And I think that's because Tokyo Ghoul it was constructed as, this, as, what, the, as what Wikipedia refers to a dark fantasy manga. But what it much closer to, I think, is, and this is the weirdest, artsiest term I, I could probably throw out for this, but it fits, I promise. 
it's a tone poem. If you don't know what a tone poem is, I don't blame you. It's a really odd expression. It's a really odd thing. But I think probably the best home of a tone of the modern tone poem in the year of our nightmares 2020 is actually TikTok. And I follow this um this girl on TikTok, she's she's got like an OnlyFans and all this other nonsense. But what she does with her TikTok is she basically creates these weird tone poems out of her videos. They they they're not about anything. They're about her posing in front of her bedroom mirror or learning to skateboard for the first time or literally just scenery of the of DC, the city she lives in. And it it like it it's all meant to invoke this feeling to be what what the Gen Zs call a vibe. Although I'm sure millennials call it that too. I'm a millennial. I'm old, but I'm a millennial. I'm not that old. I'm like Japanese old. <laughs> but which means I'm over thirty. But what I mean by tone poem is exactly what I said. It's it's not really about the story, it's about the feeling that it invokes. And I think that's the best way to think about Tokyo Ghoul as a property, because I have seen most of the anime series somehow. I have also read a lot of the manga somehow. Uh, and in both cases, the story may fall apart at points and it may not make much sense, but it, it's inherently this thing that trying to create a tone at all points is trying to create, sustain, and like play with this dark, like a dark fantasy tone for the entire show. And there are places where that works and doesn't work. And if I had to say that there's a like original sin to Tokyo Ghoul, is that its story just falls apart in the sake of its like edge, if if you will. One of the reasons I don't play I play Overwatch a lot now, like a lot, <laughs> but I don't play Reaper ever because He's like this crystallized version of like a 13-year-old edgelord's idea of a cool badass. And like, I just, I, I kind of want to throw up in my mouth whenever I see someone playing him. You're not a good person. I, not that you're not a good person, but you're not a person who I would want to tolerate. If you've never seen Tokyo Ghoul, which I don't blame you for having never seen Tokyo Ghoul, because... It is super edgelordy. <laughs> I the best I can describe it is when Death Note first per, first per, first was on TV in anime culture in America for the first time, and you had this eruption of death of like thirteen year old girls who are really into Death Note. I, it, 
it had the same feel, Ghoul had the same feel, but it get there in a totally different way. So I'm going to go down a like basic, basic, basic part of the story now. I, the story starts with this kid named, I can't, I can't believe this is his name. This is such a fucking, you know, Peter Pan, Clark Kent, fucking comic book name. I can't even stand it. His name is Ken Kanaki. And the story opens with him going on a date with this girl who is, with this girl who is, who, who seemed to be interested in him, a girl named Rize, and little unbeknownst to our, to, to, to our sweet summer child, Ken, who thinks that a girl's finally interested in me. Gee whiz, maybe she'll, maybe she'll let me see her ankles. Like, that's the kind of, like, good boy vibes he's putting off. Rize is what they call, is what this, you will come to know as a ghoul. And ghouls are basically vampires. They're, they're fucking a la carte level vampires. They don't just drink your blood. They eat people. <laughs> um, but... So she, her plan is not really to get, to get all sexy timed up with Ken. It's to eat him. And Rize is very clearly not a good person. Like, she's very clearly not a good person. I, I forget exactly how it happened, but I'm pretty sure a building falls on the both of them. Oh, they, they, she takes him to a, she, like, seductively lures him to a construction site so she can, like, devour him and have plausible deniability because, yo, she murdering somebody. And not just that, but she's, like, murdering somebody slash disappearing them, which, you know, the, gov the government of Japan does not like. But that goes sideways, and, a and basically a building, building material fall on both of them. Rize, they can't save Rize. But the surgeons use... Uh, a lot of Rize's organs to say, since she happened to be the same blood type, whatever, um, to save Kent, to, sa to save our, our good boy Ken. And Ken's fine at first, but then he starts to have these weird urges and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he ultimately learns that he's what they call, that he is now a ghoul. And this isn't usually the way ghouls are born. I forget exactly how ghouls are born. I think they do explain that to some degree. But he, and I find this really interesting because I am a mixed-race individual. He is essentially a mixed-race being. He is half ghoul, half human. And the way that he learns to deal with his urges is he goes to this cafe. Of course, this, this, this cafe that is an organization of ghouls 
for ghouls of ghouls to help him that tries to help ghouls consume a human body parts, human human flesh in a sustainable, non-destructive, non-harmful way. So what <laughs> they so what ultimately happens is one of the is one of the characters uh, I believe Yoshimura is the kind of head is the bartender at this coffee bar and Kent and Kaneki ultimately gets a job there working as a waiter alongside this girl named Toka who is who, who is a full ghoul and Toka starts showing him the ropes she, they all explain the rules as another guy who works kind of behind the scenes who goes literally to morgues around the city the city of Tokyo this takes place in modern day Tokyo I should also explain but he, she goes he goes around the modern day Tokyo and he collects to morgue to morgues in modern day Tokyo and he looks for victims who have been dismembered who like that, who have been dismembered and are going to be cremated, and he takes like an arm here, a leg there, an eyeball here, blah 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 blah, and the establishments they run in this cafe actually caters specifically to making normal human-looking food for ghouls, so ghouls have a place to eat that does not involve them. Straight up murdering Timmy from two blocks over. <laughs> because he looks like a snack. And they also, but one of the things that they do say is that if you do feed, what they call feed, which is just vampires speak for eating people. Um, if you do feed, or if you are in a position where you need to feed, you need to go. We need to get you some sort of like identity protection because apparently there are there's a government organization there's an organization devoted to hunting down and killing ghouls because they believe that they are evil and in many cases they're not wrong about that but the so they take Kaneki to the to this guy who makes math for everyone. It's actually my favorite character in the whole freaking thing. I forget his, um, I forget his name, but I think he, uh, he's just he, he's basically an artist who specialize who makes masks for ghouls. He and that's all he does is he takes, he takes payment, and he'll make you a mask. I believe it's this guy, but. He so Kaniki gets this mask, which you've probably seen on like nine million cosplayers. It's this, it's these big jaws, and like he unzips it. And at this point, this is the first time where you come to the understanding that there is a community among ghouls, and they all know each other because this dude makes all of their masks, and he, I. He so he knew Rize and Rize had a mask, and I think the mask he designs for Kaneki is a 
like a take on re- a darker take on Reed mask, and as Kaniki finds out more about Reed, she becomes a worse and worse person, and he starts having these really vivid dreams where Reed there because Reed's body parts are inside of him, so they are like eternally linked psychically. So even though she's dead, she like haunts his mind palace constantly. And throughout the entire time, I I said that this thing is more of a tone poem than an actual story. This show is attempting to get across a tone first and foremost. It's attempting to get across this, like, this is what it's like to live as you slowly become this, like, weird version of a super vampire. And so, an old so an older property, not an older show that I could reference on this, is actually Helsing. And specifically, Sarah's Victoria's story arc in Helsing that is actually best portrayed in Helsing Ultimate, and. In Helsing Ultimate, you see Sarah's struggle with being a vampire. It's played for laughs, but if you stop and think about what it means to cross the to cross an imaginary line from being human to being something that is more than human or definitively different than human. Or so outside of everyone around, or in a less fantasy sense, so outside of everyone around you's experience and understanding, it it takes on this weird. It takes on this weird. You go on a weird journey, and I know about this because I am a very high-functioning brain cancer survivor. I went, two rounds in, I went two rounds in the ring with brain cancer and came out on the other end. And one of the things that people always want to do with people who are different, and I think um, Tokyo Ghoul gets this, Tokyo Ghoul, especially the manga, gets this really right, especially, and specifically in the relationship between... Ken and Toka, between Kaniki and Toka, is they, if people want to truly understand difference before they accept it, when really the, and ultimately it does, it does pan out the way I'm about to say, but it's hard for people to recognize, to recognize that's what needs to happen, when in reality, you need to accept that 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 difference for what it is and that you can't change it and you need to accept the person who is different before you can even begin to understand it when you accept someone you're saying that it's okay that you are like this when you try to understand someone until you that you hit that point of understanding it, 
it's not okay with you. It, it, it comes off as, as not being okay. But if you accept somebody and start living with them, with the reality that that person is in as just that being their reality, it, it, it lifts the weight off of that other person's shoulders to have a performative aspect to their actions. So a perfect, a perfect example of like, performance and this show has a lot of that of what uh, the black community calls passing in it actually it's when i work in when i used to work in new york city one of the things that i would do without fail is i would wear really nice dress shoes in every office i worked in and that doesn't sound that bizarre Except when you think that I went to my brace maker since I wear a leg brace on my left leg. And I said, this brace needs to fit in a dress shoe. No exceptions. And the reason I did that is because as a person who is already different, who has a very noticeable disability, walking into an office environment in sneakers, when that's not what everyone else is wearing, especially at the level of cre of the creative world I was at, is another thing to add to people's separation, to the separation between me and, peop and other people. Because then they will say, like, oh, he's wearing shoes because he's allowed to wear shoes because he's disabled. Whereas if I wear dress shoes, like everybody else, or in many cases, even better than everybody else. That is actually turned from a... from something that people accept as just me. It's from people trying to understand that it's me being different and not being allowed to call it out. That removes... my my performance on that part removes that necessity on behalf of other people. That was something I did to make other people feel better. And I can tell you, as a disabled person in the world, I, I do a lot of that shit. I do a lot of it. And from taking multiple showers a day because... Chemo fucks up your biorhythm so you smell like a trash bag by the middle of the day. From, you know, having a brace that's custom made within an inch of its life so it can fit in normal shoes. From all kinds of different things. And this show gets at that. It gets at Tokyo Ghoul, I should mention again as many times as possible. Um, gets at the need of those who are truly different. I'm not talking like, you know, a little different. I'm not talking, you know, quirky. I'm talking about truly different to make a real effort on their own behalf on, to make sure other people are comfortable because that is the least, that is the path of least resistance and they need to do that work. And in, in 
the, I, I would probably imagine in the disabled community it's called pathing too, but in the black community, pathing is when you are light-skinned enough to pass for white. When you are not so dark-skinned that you are that you are immediately seen as being black. So, for example, I pass for white. I'm not white, not entirely. I'm half black, half white, but I pass for white, for just straight white for most people. But if a black person sees me, they look at me like, oh, no, he's black. He's, like, he's part of the club. Don't ask questions. <laughs> but this, this show, in a unique way, makes a takes a really good stab at it. And I think that the reason it can take such a good stab at that concept is because it's not so concerned with being a well-structured story. I know that sounds awful. It really does. But it... Because it's not, it's not letting that get in the way of itself, it... It allows itself to be to to have a more to have demonstrations of social of a social concept that is really amorphous and really hard for people to understand who haven't been part of it. And as the story of Tokyo Ghoul goes on, Kaniki starts to want to pass less and less. He starts to want to start to go crazy is the way the show frames it. But in reality, if you make it about a real phenomenon like pathing, he starts to want to do the performative bullshit of pathing for human less and less. He's he, you know, starts running with other with other half-breed ghouls ha with other half-breed ghouls and he like he pulls away from human society and but the entire time in the both the in the manga and the second season of the anime he maintains his relationship with Toka and the reason he does that is because Toka who is a full ghoul isn't trying to understand him. She's not trying to understand, at least most times, she's not trying to understand, you know, be, being half and half. She, she knows that it's there and she just accepts him for whoever he is. And that leads to them, like, straight up banging in the manga. Which was a pivotal, pivotal point. I remember people wrote articles like, Kaniki and Toka finally had sex in the manga. Because it was this, like, fruition of this pent-up emotional relationship they had. That was, they were always in a relationship, even if they were on separate sides of the, like, fence of how to be ghouls, how to be whatever. But that... And I, I said at the beginning that the big problem with Tokyo Ghoul is that it doesn't 
care about its sto story structure, and while I still maintain that that allows it to explore things like pathing and like struggling with becoming something different or being something truly different than anyone else around you, I, I think that it could have been more effective in its story elements if it committed to... Not, not if it committed, if it... What's the word? If it straightened out its story. If it was not such a, like, out-of-left-field bullshit story. And I know there'll be people who say, you know, like, it makes total sense, blah, 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 blah. I've read it. I've watched it. It doesn't make total sense. They skipped around the anime worse than the manga, but it's a... It has a t it has the TV melodrama problem. It has the TV problem of nobody tells anybody anything real that would fix any of this, and nobody gets out of their own way. If you want a great example of this, Naruto Shippuden. Sasuke's character did not need to go through the bullshit he went through. If him and his, if like his brother just sent him a message and was like, we should talk. Or his brother would, would send him messages throughout the years saying, hey, I know you're a kid. I know you think I killed our family, but I didn't. Here's what happened. Problem freaking solved. The, the giant nightmare of giant nightmare scenario that plays out in the latter half of Naruto Shippuden would not happen if someone just straight up talked to someone else in that show like they were an adult. And this show suffered from that same thing. No, everybody like talks around each other. Everybody... No, but but also everybody knows everybody else. The ghoul, the like ghoul community of Tokyo, is big, but also inclusive of itself. Like I said, literally everybody in the show has a mask they wear when they need to go feed. Out in out in the night, so they protect their identity from the evil government assholes who are looking to hunt them down. But the, and so they all know each other. They all go get the mask at the same dude. But that dude at no point is like, hey, let me call this person and y'all can just talk. When you meet Jason or uh, when you meet Jason, the like bad, the bad guy, the badass, bad, the like bad guy at the end of the first season, that could have been avoided. His mask was made by the same dude everybody else was. That dude could have been like, I'm just not going to freaking repair your mask until you show up and we sit down and we have a conversation. It... It... It has the opposite problem of gangsta. Actually, it has kind of the same problem with gangsta, really. 
Gangsta doesn't utilize its underworld setting well enough. It and it relies on the fact that you've seen um, Black Lagoon before, so you can. So you understand what's going on. But the back the like backdrop of Tokyo Ghoul doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it's not made use of very well. The fact that there's this huge community that's interconnected is basically made use of through the relationship between Toka and Kaneki and Kaneki throughout the show. And it just doesn't It doesn't fe- It doesn't feel like there's something bigger behind the kid behind the teenage characters in this. It feels like it's exactly as big as it needs to be at any given point for those characters to be wherever the plot needs them to be. And it, it. So, the show called Billions on TV, I know this is an odd thought, but I promise it makes sense. There's a show called Billions on, on Showtime, and Billions is about... Billions is about the people who deal with money on a grand scale. Billion, the two opposing sides are a guy named Bobby Axelrod, who owns a thing called Axe Capital, and a, and a guy on... And the other guy on the other side is played by Paul Giamatti, and he is the um, attorney general of... He's the attorney general of the, like, of, like, the hard-ass Southern District of New York court system. And this whole show is about these opposing characters. But the thing that's interesting about that show is the character who's one of the better characters on TV right now, a guy named Wags. And I think his, the character's full name is, like, Robert Wagner or something. But him and the all the character and all the characters feel like this. All the characters in that show, but especially Wag, feel like when they were introduced to their character, they were also given a. They were also given a kind of character bible of their backstory. So like, Wags is revealed to have, like, half a dozen kids. One of which he finds as a stripper when he's, like, doing his, like, like, henchman work, or whatever you want to call it. There's another character named Dollar Bill Stern, and the whole character's actual name is Bill Stern, but everybody just calls him Dollar Bill. And he has two, they make it very clear, that he has two entirely separate, they do not know about each other, families. Which is a nightmare. And then there's like, but there's also like one-off characters who feel 
like weird cartoon cutouts, like the guy named Hard Bob, and he brooks no bullshit. And but other than when they're trying to be funny with little with little in particular characters in moments, all these characters feel like they have all this backstory that's feeding up into the character you are seeing on screen. And with both, with, even with Toka, who uh, is probably, if you want to give a first support role to in this show, she would, in this property, she would probably take it handily. She doesn't feel like she's there for any other reason than the story wants a female love interest many times. She feels, don't get me wrong, she's a strong female character and a great design, but I never get the sense when I see anything from Tokyo Ghoul that those characters would exist outside of that property. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but what I mean by that is when you watch a good show, it, it feels like you're getting a window into a universe. So when you watch, for example, when you watch Cowboy Bebop, which is an anime classic if ever there was one, you, you feel like you're spending time with Spike, Faye, and Jet, and Ed, but you get the distinct feeling that somehow when the, when the show's off, they kept living. That when you, so when you go to see, when you see Knocking on Heaven's Door in a theater in 2001, the camera is simply being turned back on for, a, for another hour. And that's the mark of good character work in storytelling, is that you feel like those characters are real enough where they exist outside of the story that's being told. You feel like... You feel like those characters wake up and get out of bed every morning and not like they just punch through walls with superpowers. And that's a... That's a hard... That's a hard balance to strike. And it's one of the reasons why, I, actually, I like a good, what I call, underworld anime so much. It's because so much about underworld anime is establishing the tone so hard through showing the characters so... doing such mun, seemingly mundane things in a non-mundane environment. A great example of this is, I think it's the start of season two of My Hero Academia, when you follow the member of the League of Villains, a guy, and I've talked about this before, but you follow them, a member of the League of Villains, a guy named Twice, a, a villain named Twice. You kind of know what you're looking at, but you're not sure, like what you're, what you're watching, but you're not sure until the, almost the very end of the show. And you follow this guy who just does not fit into society anymore through his life. And you, and you see, but through that, you see the reason why the League of Villains would want to reset society away from 
and move it away from the like superhero culture that has been created because they have been pushed out of they've been pushed out of society in some cases to no fault of their own like and to no fault of their own and because of things they were born with which is really awful so like perfect example twice is twice is not that abnormal it's more his mental state that keeps him from being a contributing member to society. But if you look at somebody like, um, what's her face? Um, the blood transformation girl. Um, she, her quirk is so dark and so fucked up that of course people would be like, what the fuck, lady? No, we're not going to let you, like, be part of the world. We're not going to let you drink people's blood and transform into them. That's creepy shit. Go away. We don't have a place for you. You aren't useful. That sucks. But what that does, what that episode did, was it showed twice, it showed a, like, kind of, like, wise guy asshole member of the League of Villains doing what I just said. It showed him getting out of bed in the morning. It showed him interacting with the world. It showed him going to a convenience store to get a bagel or some bullshit. And so much of anime fandom in America, at least, I don't, I, I'm fairly certain this isn't true in Japan or other places around the world, is about the bombastic fights. It's about the like rock, like rock'em sock'em, awesome raw raw fight sequences and action sequences and all this like louder than life, larger than life stuff that anime can can create. And I do love that stuff. I'm not gonna lie. I. I posted a clip from Die Guard of a robot just punching a squid, a giant squid monster in the face. And you pan over to a guy and goes, huh, that is really cool. And I, I love that stuff. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. It's stuff is genuinely exciting. Like once a year, once every six months, not even once a year, I freaking look up the Rock Lee Gara fight on YouTube and I just enjoy it for my own enjoyment. But the... One of the things that makes anime great is that it's not just that stuff. And the best... And some of the best and brightest in shows in the... Shows and properties in anime use the, like, tone pony just like episodes just to establish a feeling for the world kind of technique to ground their characters and and that makes the action sequences so much better if you look at something like black lagoon yes that show has like awesome fucking firefights where revy is murdering people left right and center but it also has Rock walking 
walking around Rowanapur, checking in on debts, with Revy falling behind him. And the thing that's on display there is Rock is totally comfortable in this scenario and that they are clearly fucking. So clearly. It's, it, it's painful how clear it is in that show. But th- that kind of establishment of tone and feeling and place means that when you see like in Roberta's Blood Trail, which I just finished watching again on my big theater setup, actually, when you see the Roberta's Blood Trail fight where they're going through Rowanapur, Rowanapur feels real, and it feels established, and it feels alive, and you and you're like, oh, this isn't good for this city. They should get her out of this city, and that's saying something because Rowanapur is a nightmare town. <laughs> And I don't think, I don't, and the reason why the, like, tone pominess of Tokyo Ghoul doesn't work the same way is because they're not using it in an organized way. They're using it, they're using it only to focus on Kaniki. If they used it to focus on Toka and on, you know, it's, if they had an episode that was only about the dude who runs the cafe and you just saw him like placing orders for the day, going about the like daily grind of running a just a cafe, that would be really interesting. And then at the end you could have Kaniki and Toka come into work and him be like, Oh hi guys and then the roll credits. Or, you know, you see an episode of the guy who makes the masks, just like going about his work, painting, doing his art, making a mask for somebody, all this stuff. And at the end, you see like Jason roll up and pick it up and he, and just like drop money on the counter and grunt. The thing that makes, the thing that makes characters like the characters in Tokyo Ghoul better than they have any right to be is if you when you see them from different perspectives. If you've seen that episode of My Hero, which is actually my favorite episode of My Hero, honestly, every time you see twice, you understand him because the show gave you a chance to accept his reality. This show is pelting you with actions with like all this tone pominess and all of this like this all these disjointed action scenes because they focus group tested well most likely that it just doesn't it doesn't have time to weave it feels like it's not taking the time to weave them together correctly. Um on that note, if you like this show, my name has been Alex. And you can subscribe to this podcast on anything you are using to listen to me right now. But you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And until next time, I will talk to you on Sunday.